The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. But I would say, Mr. Speaker, that it's also important that while we are addressing affordability, we do so in a manner that actually will allow us to also address the climate crisis. It is an existential threat to the future of our children. Shame on them for having no climate plan. On this side of the House, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can do both. The Honourable Leader of the Opposition. Well, they're prepared to thunderously applaud anyone other than their own leader who stands up in the House of Commons. No wonder the Prime Minister says it's a really hard time to be a politician. Watch for democracy. That's CPAC's new tagline as the Cable Public Affairs Channel introduces a brand refresh. CEO Krista Dickinson, who joined CPAC from Telefilm one year ago, joins us on Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, to talk about her return to the channel at a time when journalism is in jeopardy and the broadcast landscape undergoing complex transformation. Under the mentorship of Rogers Vice Chair Phil Lind over the past year, she also talks about carrying on the late CPAC founder's legacy to uphold the torch of democracy. My name is Krista Dickinson and I started my career in film and television in the early 90s. I graduated with um, an MFA and, and I have Bachelors of Arts and Honours in Film and Television. And, you know, I really started my career in documentary filmmaking, having sold um, my second documentary to the CBC, which was great because as I tried to get my legs under me and help me kind of survive. And I quickly realized having applied to a few funding agencies for my next documentary, that this was going to be a tough haul. Uh, ironically, I was rejected for the application I'd put in for a documentary on feminism back in the early 90s. And um, I'd applied, why say ironically, to National Film Board and Telefilm. And, you know, you fast forward in my career 30 years later, I ended up being the CEO of Telefilm and on the board of the National Film Board. But that said, what I did is I quickly pivoted. And that's probably one of the big, big lessons and paths, you know, threads, common threads throughout my, my whole career is the ability to pivot. So from documentaries, I went into news. Uh, I worked at CTV on a flagship show that some people still hopefully remember called Canada AM. It was absolutely formative years because what I learned there was to meet a deadline. And then after a few years there, I had the unique opportunity to come to Ottawa and join CPAC. And I jumped at that experience for the simple reason that I was in my mid-20s and it was the ability to work both in French and English and to get my first managerial role. And after having worked an election, rebranded the channel, few things, you know, feathers I wanted my cap at from an experience perspective. I then um, joined Rogers. I was asked in 1997 to start up an internal production company. And Connie, you'll remember, this was the time of, you know, the digital universe was exploding. So we were going from analog to digital channels. And I was there to help 
basically promote um, MeTV, the, the, this universe of all these channels. And I spent, gosh, a decade and a half at Rogers between television production, wireless, telecom. And I thought, you know, at that point, okay, time to pivot again and go back a little bit to my roots. And I had the opportunity to head up Interactive Ontario, a trade association for representing digital media industry. So e-learning, video games, et cetera. And it was just a fabulous experience because um, it was my first opportunity working in not-for-profit. And I really got a better understanding of governance and lobbying. From there, I was appointed to be the head of Telephone Canada. It was pre-COVID, during COVID, and just coming out of COVID. And that is when I said yes to move over to CPAC, going back to a place I love that I'm quite familiar with. And I've been now at the helm of CPAC for one year. Do you want to talk more about CPAC and its mandate? I feel to an extent, a lot of Canadians don't realize the extent of the programming that you produce. Absolutely. So thank you for that. CPAC is mandate is to provide democracy to Canadians. We cover long form public affairs and political events. So this means conventions, for instance, our, our core core offering obviously is the House of Commons and the Senate. And then we do have some, you know, headline programming in the evening and some analysis as well. You worked at CPAC very early in your career, as you mentioned. Do you want to talk about your move back into the television and journalism space after such a long run focused in the production sector? CPAC for me, going back to it, was very important. Storytelling has been at the heart of everything I've done, but journalism as well. And what's going on right now in our universe, especially the broadcast reform, you know, this is something that comes along, what? once every 30 years or so. So for me, that was really a challenge I couldn't pass up. And then, you know, what I think people may not understand about CPAC is that we are a very unique model. We are entirely dependent on cable subscriber model funding. So with the erosion of subscribers, you know, it's no secret that the channel is experiencing, you know, simply put, a very real existential threat. Um, so you probably ask yourself, why did you take on such a headache? Um, but you know, for me, it is a lifetime moment and experience to be able to make a mark in a time when journalism is in jeopardy. And this is for, you know, a myriad of reasons. The shifting media landscape, um, shrinking revenues as, you know, ads have moved from traditional platforms to online, new viewing habits. And then there is this, you know, infamous proliferation of misinformation, distrust, polarization. So that's really why I signed up. And also, as I mentioned, you know, returning to CPAC, I'm familiar, I know it, I know the long format, the uncut, unedited, un, unfiltered coverage, I understand the mandate in the offering. So that really allowed me to hit the ground running. And I, I thrive on challenges. So, you know, the, the last role I had at Telefilm, I led their 
an immense overhaul to democratize the, the funding model of what, what is there a half a century old crown agency. And it was focused on sustainable change management with diversity inclusion at the core, you know, really a democratization of funding. So once I accomplished that, what I was looking for was a similar challenge in magnitude, but with a distinct set of variables. And this is why I signed up for CPAC. We've heard a lot this summer about all of the challenges facing the Canadian journalism landscape. And I know you have more thoughts, Krista, on where we're at and how the industry can move forward. The transformation that's going on with the broadcast landscape, I think it's the understatement of the century to say it's complex. It's very complex for for CPAC. So we already mentioned, you know, I already mentioned erosion of cable subscribers. You know, that that means in in real terms that there's steep revenue declines um, that come with that. And so, you know, the context of that is navigating changes in the regulatory environment. Of course, there's there's C11. So everybody's been waiting for the passage of C11. We're quite excited that it's at this point. However, there have been so many years of legislative delays to get to this online streaming act that leads to leads to a whole other set of problems for a channel like CPAC. What I mean by that is what happens between the old broadcasting regime and the new regime, because although the act has passed, there's a lot of work that still needs to happen. CPAC is an N91H service. It's the type of license agreement we have. We are a must-carry channel, along with other peers, half a dozen of them. And in our case, we were up for renewal. A lot of channels were in the Canadian broadcast landscape. We were up for our, our license renewal this past August, just a few weeks ago. And normally in that type of situation, we go in front of the CRTC, we have a hearing, we put forward, you know, a suggestion of a rate increase, we go through all this rigmarole. Now that has not happened because we all received an administrative renewal. Administrative renewal just means the current license agreement rolls. So everything remains status quo. Pros and cons, you know, great, our license has been renewed. However, our license had been a five-year term. We've been renewed for three years administratively, which means that the one cent increase that we got in 2018 needs to carry us through for a total of eight years. That exacerbates the problem that, that we're on living through. So for us, you know, at CPAC, it's time is one of our, our largest, largest enemies. You know, we don't have the luxury of time. We can't just wait and see. So what I'm doing is looking at how do I actually se- secure new sources of f- funding? How do I position the brand as the essential service that it is while navigating these, these you know, changes in the regulatory environment? So it means, you know, pursuing all possible avenues of funding for us, collaborations, partnerships. And for once, we're really looking at grants and contributions. We were looking at licensing archival footage, for instance, and we are working with those peers that also are must-carry channels to talk to government, you know, about 
is there the potential of interim gap financing to cover that period of that three years of administrative renewal? And then we're a bit encouraged because in C11, there is the, there's some wording in there about the potential of the creation of an independent fund for services of exceptional importance. Now, that would be table stakes for us. However, it's going to take time. We still have to probably wait two or three years before we see anything like that actually be created out of the CRTC. We've talked about C11. Double whammy. You brought it up. Journalism. We're in journalism. So there is also Bill C-18. Although in time, it's going to hopefully introduce, you know, a fund of itself for journalism. In the meantime, we know it, the legislation is strife with a new set of problems for news organizations, you know, having to negotiate agreements then basically with, with streamers. I know CPAC wasn't immune to the Facebook news ban. Do you have thoughts on how Canadian news outlets can engage and reach audiences in potentially a post-social landscape for journalism? So I think that, yes, you know, it, a lot is going on right now with journalism and Meta, Meta basically on August 1st, start to block primarily news content on, on their platforms. It is about working together, working with government, not-for-profit, and the private sector to make sure that that news, you know, thrives and survives. The beautiful thing about CPAC is in a world right now that's fractured by misinformation, seeing the full picture has never been as essential. So CPAC, you know, offers a nonpartisan window into political decisions that shape Canadians' lives. So the proliferation of CPAC and making sure that it is secure is table stakes, I think. Our core belief is that for the sake of democracy, Canadians deserve to be informed, not to be directed. And that's what we provide and in both languages. You must have made some observations over the past year in terms of some of the differences between how the production sector is managed and conventional broadcasting. And you also have a lot of experience in both the private and public sectors. Are there shared learnings there that you've identified that either facet of the industry could be benefiting from? I think it's about finding creative and innovative solutions and usually we're more successful when we work together. And I strongly believe that when public, private, and not-for-profit sectors work together, there are those better results. So I'm going to give you an example from the production sector that you asked about. During the pandemic, I saw and I participated and I witnessed government, private, and not-for-profit organizations, I'm talking guilds, unions, um, work in unison, for you know, not only the, the evolution of film and TV production, but its actual sheer survival. So let me give you a tangible example. It was the onset of COVID. And you know what happened? Film and TV sets, they shuttered. You know, it, it's tons of people, crew and cast in small, tight quarters when it comes to filming a TV or you know, a movie. And so what happened is that 
the chances of someone having COVID and passing along around cast and crew was quite high and it was happening. No insurance company was willing to provide coverage for COVID related shoot interruptions. Well, this was devastating. Without that, no sets could turn. The public sector then put in place the government and administered an industry-wide insurance coverage of $50 million that then doubled and tripled and was entitled the Short-Term Compensation Fund. This enabled the entire industry in Canada of film and television to return back into production. And, you know, this was why? Because the guilds, the unions had worked together to ensure that COVID safety protocols were in place. And because of that, it reassured the government, it mitigated the risk and it provided that level to be able for the government to provide the financial risk and coverage. This, this sounds so simple. It's, you're saying it's just insurance. No, no, no. Still, there isn't an insurance company that will provide COVID insurance. And that short-term compensation fund, it allowed over 200 part projects in 2021 alone to go to camera. So in effect, the only reason this was possible is because three levels worked together in unison. And that was a really creative solution. I want to switch gears and talk about Phil Lind, the vice chair uh-huh. of Rogers and one of the big drivers behind founding CPAC who passed away recently. He'd been mentoring you over the past year. Do you want to talk about your relationship with Phil? Oh, thank you. Um, it's very touching and I'm humbled to be able to speak about Phil Lind. You know, uh, I met him when I started at Rogers in 97 um, and would, you know, see him in the hallways and in, you know, executive meetings. So we knew of each other and, but I never at that time had the opportunity to work directly with him. And I've been so, 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 so lucky that I had the past year to, to work with them. Part of signing up and saying yes to take on the role of CEO at CPAC was the fact that it was an absolutely irresistible opportunity to work directly with Phil. When I began at CPAC, it was fascinating because I asked him for support on on, on three three strategic initiatives. And it was a bit brazen of me, you know, I, I wanted to spend a few a little bit of extra off cycle money on a new strategic plan, a business continuity plan, and also to refresh the CPAC brand presence. And Phil acquiesced immediately to the first two. And about the brand, he wisely you know, said, I needed to sit in the role for a while before I tackled it. <laughs> you know, thinking back on that now, I realized that that was my first lesson from him. He was a master negotiator. And in hindsight, I probably should not have walked in expecting I was going to get everything I asked for in in my first meeting with him. And, you know, so six months later, I told Phil that I was grateful for his guidance and that it would have been premature on day one to tackle brand and that now I was ready and that we'll have it for, for, for September. Um, he agreed. And um, I have to say, Connie, you know, I'm sad he isn't here to see the new CPAC brand and elements roll out this month. He would have absolutely loved a refreshed call to action. CPAC, watch for democracy. 
Yeah, it's, it's you know, him not being here, it, it really is um, heart-wrenching. He really made time for CPAC, even in his, his final weeks and days. One of, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways is that when he was at his most dire, he had the time for the causes that mattered to him. And democracy certainly was one. Um, so I really hope that CPAC um, lives up to that for him. What was Phil's best advice to you over the past year? You know, I would say not to do everything at once for sure. And also keep things short. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he, he didn't ramble on, you know, say what you mean to say and, and move on. You're a seasoned executive, Krista, receiving mentorship. Is there enough of that happening at the C-suite level? I really think that there's always room for more mentorship. And for me, it's, I think mentorship is a crucial part of, of leadership. Um, and it goes beyond giving back. When I mentor someone, I think it's a unique window into seeing the challenges that other people face. It also helps one refine one's own messages, understand different people's management styles, um, and look at priorities and appreciate those lessons you've learned along the way. Um, so you think a bit more on it. I've been very grateful to, for having been, you know, ha having had fabulous mentors like Phil, he, he, to go back to Phil for a second, his legacy, you know, he's the one who literally created CPAC. It was 1992. And, and Connie, you probably have heard this story, but I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it for your listeners. It was 1992 and there were government cuts to the, the CBC. So in retaliation to the hit to their bottom line, the CBC decided it would no longer broadcast the House of Commons or Senate. And Phil was absolutely outraged as he saw, you know, Parliament proceedings as an essential programming service for, for all Canadians. So like the industry tied in that he was, he immediately got to work speaking with his cable partners and ultimately advocated successfully with government for the creation of a not-for-profit standalone broadcasting entity whose sole purpose was to carry the torch of democracy. And that was the birth of CPAC. So Phil really fought for what he believed. And that's the type of mentorship that's unbelievable. You know, for me, I see what he's provided as, as a gift to me and to us collectively. Whenever I'm approached to mentor somebody, I jump at the opportunity that it be student, mid-managers, senior leaders alike, that it be either informally or, you know, in, in a very constructive type of program. I practically always say yes. I don't think a lot of people realize how often journalists rely on CPAC, including my current beat. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And I would agree with you. Agencies, journalists alike, often have CPAC on, you know, on their wall of feeds. They refer to it. They do, they, they use the CPAC archive. We have an immense archive that is used by journalists to, you know, check credibility on their facts and to do research. 
you touched on CPAC's strategic plan. What's next for the channel? Oh, thank you. I'm so happy you asked that. Well, we are launching our refresh, CPAC Watch for Democracy. We have a new season of Primetime Politics and Essentiel with Michael Serapio and Esther Bejan. What we've started to do, and you probably would have noticed it at the last two conventions, the Liberals and the Conservatives, is that now that coverage by both our hosts our joint coverage, they're co-hosting bilingually. That is the first time that's ever been done in Canada. Um, it is very special. We will be premiering quite soon an exciting documentary series that will unfold over the next decade. And you're like, why a decade? <laughs> it is Inside Center Block, the Restoration of R.I. Karnak parliament buildings. The stories, the history, the capture with that is an unbelievable legacy that we think we are behooved to provide that to all Canadians. Is there a thought you'd like to close on, Krista? I, the thought I would love to close on is for Canadians to really embrace democracy. It is a time of polarization. I think that think for yourselves, be informed, check out cpac.ca. That is where you will see the full story. Thank you very much, Connie. Thank you, Krista. Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.